Paul is bound for Jerusalem. But when he arrives, accusations flock, beatings ensue, and this disciple follows the steps of the king. On the Bible Brief. Will you pray for our efforts with the PRISM Bible app? We're getting close to launching the beta, and we'd love for you to join us in prayer for the launch on January 1st. We can't wait to show you the PRISM Bible app. To be a disciple of Jesus means walking in the steps that Jesus walked. It means following him to joy and to suffering, to truth despite slander against you, and to life despite death. To be a disciple is to seek to imitate Jesus in action, in affection, in faith, in submission, and in prayer. This imitation, however, is often very costly so costly that it may cost you everything. It may cost you your job, your family, and your friends. It may strip out everything from your life to be replaced with new and better things, things that may not look like they did before. Your family that rejected you for the gospel will be replaced by a different kind of family put together by the very same gospel. Your job loss will be replaced by other work and with a new realization of God's provision for your needs. Your friends who deserted you because of Jesus will be replaced by better friends bound together by the gospel mission. One of the ironies of the Christian life is that it is full of real loss, suffering, difficulty, and pain. And yet the very same life is filled with joys that the world simply can't understand. It can't understand the fellowship of Christians and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It can't understand the family of God that emphasizes spiritual kinship over blood relation. It can't understand the richness of God's blessing when that richness looks to the world perhaps like a middling existence. The world can't understand the fruit of the gospel because it hasn't believed the gospel. And that world will always take what it doesn't understand as hostility. The world slanders Christians with words of bigotry, exclusivity, injustice, and the like. But Christians know that as we follow the Master, these words and worse are assured. But just as persecution is certain, so also is provision. Provision of fellowship and needs, and ultimately, provision of life everlasting with the God we love. Paul has been set on Jerusalem for months now. Ever since leaving Ephesus, he's had his mind set on arriving in Jerusalem by the Pentecost feast day, and he's been working toward that goal. He'd shared the gospel in city after city, getting on boat after boat, and finally after months, he'd arrived at Caesarea, about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. This place where Cornelius first heard the gospel from the apostle Peter was now home to a large church of Christians. And Paul was welcomed there with his traveling companions, especially Luke, who had been chronicling much of his journeys for the last several years. It's here at Caesarea that the ministry of Paul begins to take more of a sense of impending suffering. Luke records it like this. While we were staying in Caesarea for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, 
Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then he answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since Paul would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Despite his many friends in the church at Caesarea, Paul couldn't be dissuaded from going to Jerusalem. Even a prophet sharing what would happen to Paul couldn't convince him to avoid the city. Instead, even if death would come, Paul would go. And so Paul, with Luke and others, leaves Caesarea bound for the city of the king, ready for whatever might come of the journey. When he arrives, he comes to James and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and he's able to share the news of all that God has done in his ministry to the Gentiles. Privately, everyone rejoices, but then the leaders warn Paul. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. These leaders share some interesting news with Paul. While he's been out among the Gentiles, multitudes of people in Jerusalem had come to follow Jesus. And these Jewish Christians had the same issues that cropped up years prior regarding the law of Moses. These Jews who believed had heard that Paul didn't keep the law and that he'd told the Jews living among the Gentiles that they didn't need to observe it either. They were concerned that Paul was anti-law. So these leaders of the church in Jerusalem suggest that Paul demonstrate that he himself isn't anti-law and that here in Jerusalem he would keep the law among the Jews. They gave him a plan to endorse four other men in their law-keeping and demonstrate obedience himself for about a week. Near the end of the week, however, things heat up as Paul comes to the temple complex. Other Jews recognize Paul, and suddenly Paul finds a target on his back. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from where Paul had preached among the Gentiles seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when Paul came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. 
for the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! You can imagine the surprise of the Romans that Jerusalem had suddenly erupted into a violent mob. All these Jews were gathered from around the empire for the Pentecost feast, and instead of a peaceful celebration, the crowds were in an uproar over this man that the Romans knew nothing about. People in the crowd shouted accusations, but the Roman leaders couldn't figure out the facts with such violence surrounding them. Instead, better to take this man into custody and to figure things out after the crowd had calmed a bit. Paul, for his part, was experiencing more of the steps of Jesus. He had had false claims hurled against him by the Jews here in Jerusalem. He was beaten, and the crowd even repeated the phrase said about Jesus years before, saying to the Romans, Away with him. Paul's end, however, doesn't come immediately. Instead, the Roman leader in Jerusalem listens to him for a while before allowing Paul to address this angry crowd. Speaking in Hebrew, the crowd listens as Paul recounts his persecution of the way, the stoning of Stephen, and his dramatic experience of Jesus on the road to Damascus. But when he ends his speech telling of Jesus commissioning him to preach to the Gentiles, well, the crowd becomes raucous yet again. The Roman leadership is perplexed at exactly why the crowd is so upset, and they launch a plan to torture Paul by flogging with whips to see if they can whip the truth out of Paul. The crowd's anger suggests that Paul must be hiding their true source of the anger. The plans for flogging, however, quickly get foiled by Paul himself, because when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who is standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum of money. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him by flogging withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. The tribune is shocked and immediately concerned at what was about to transpire. Paul's Roman citizenship conferred rights to trial and appeal that others did not enjoy throughout the empire. Paul may have been a Jew, but as a Roman citizen by birth, he had rights that many other Jews couldn't claim. The assumption of the Roman tribune that Paul was like most Jews caused a violation of Paul's Roman rights and almost resulted in an illegal flogging. Now that the tribune discovered that he could not flog Paul, he turned to a new tactic, setting Paul before the Jewish Sanhedrin council to see if the real reason for the crowd's anger could be revealed. Yet Paul, understanding the two sects of the Pharisees who believed in the future resurrection from the dead and the Sadducees who deny a future resurrection, well, Paul decides to let the truth divide the council before him. He says this, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when Paul said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. 
It became so divided that even this respected council broke out in violence, violence enough that Paul had to be removed into protective custody by the Romans. Despite the time of this Pentecost feast to the Lord, violence was the rule of the day for the city, and violence would continue to boil in the hearts of many Jews in Jerusalem. The next day, rather than settle for justice in the Roman courts, some of these Jews decided to take matters into their own hands. More than 40 of them gathered to make an oath. They vowed no food. They vowed no drink. None of that for the men until this Paul who preached Jesus. None of that until he was dead. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023